Good morning, church. My name is Stephanie. I'm a member here at Redemption, and I'm going to be reading God's word with you this morning. It comes from Romans 3, verses 21 through 31. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, Gentiles also. also, Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is God's word for us today. Let's pray together as we look to God's word. Father, I cannot help but to feel the weight of this sermon. So much of our spiritual life hangs on the truths we will discuss today. And Lord, I pray that with that would come not only a a seriousness, but also a joy. Just a great, rejoicing, thankful heart because you are so kind as to justify sinful people like us in this way. Give us eyes to see the glory and the beauty of this gospel. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I came to faith myself back in 2003 at a Bible camp when I was 14 years old. And for the first time that week, I kept hearing this message about being saved by grace through faith, grace through faith, and all kinds of dots were connected for me that week. Um, I begun to see that Jesus didn't just die, you know, for sins generally, but, but also for my specific sins to forgive me. Uh, I started to see he wasn't just one character in the Bible, but really the point of the entire book. But I was really confused that week about this idea of having faith in Jesus. I, I wasn't quite sure what that meant. 
I mean, I basically believed that he was real. I was always kind of fine with this idea that he had risen from the dead. But I got the sense that when these people were talking about faith in Jesus and having faith in Jesus, they meant something more by it. And so I asked, actually, my camp counselor that week, I said, what, what is that about? What, it, what is faith and how, how does that all work? And he showed me a passage of scripture uh, that opened my eyes to the spiritual significance of faith and how it really works. And for me, at least, if there's one moment in my life that I could pinpoint and say, that was it. Uh, that was the moment when God regenerated me. He gave me new spiritual life. This would have to be that moment. It was on August 4th, 2003, when my camp counselor showed me in scripture what faith is. And I will show you that verse today as well, but you're going to have to wait for that part. Uh, this series, Made Righteous, is about what it means to be a Christian and how we can become Christians. And each week we're looking at a different aspect of these 10 verses. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 31. And so far, uh, we have considered two of these five key concepts. Just a little recap. First, uh, we considered the problem of sin, and, and namely that we, none of us, possess this spiritual quality of righteousness. That is, whether we're born Jewish by birth, under the law, or not. Either way, none is righteous, we've read. No, not even one. And that's a huge problem. Because as Paul shared earlier in chapter 2, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against our unrighteousness. We all deserve to be judged and condemned by a holy God, and he would have been perfectly just to condemn us without ever even doing anything to redeem us or to make us righteous. He would be perfectly just. That was week one, the problem of sin. But then next we considered the idea of propitiation. God sending his sinless son in the human flesh to die on the cross in our place, absorbing the wrath of God that we deserved. So that on one hand, God could still be just. He truly has dealt with human sin by punishing this one man as a representative for all of us. And yet also, on the other hand, he is now our justifier. Because in doing this, he has made a way for us to be made righteous. Because all of this, the death of Jesus on the cross, was the ultimate display of, of his righteousness, of God's righteousness. It is proof positive once and for all that he is a kind and a merciful covenant-keeping God who will stop at nothing to redeem even sinful, unrighteous people like us. And the point is that even though righteousness will never come from within us, now a new kind of righteousness has, has sort of broken into our world here through the life, the death, and the resurrection of this Jesus. And somehow, goodness gracious, somehow, we can have access to that righteousness ourselves. Of course, the next natural question is, how? Uh, surely not 
everyone is just automatically made righteous because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And so who is then? And how is it that they are made righteous? If you open your Bible with me, look at Romans chapter two, Paul's, uh, Romans chapter three, rather, 21, Paul tells us very plainly. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, though the law and the prophets bear witness to it. We've covered that. And he continues to describe this righteousness. He calls it the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And there's our answer. Church, there's our answer. Unrighteous people like you and like me can be made righteous We can gain access to this otherworldly kind of righteousness, the righteousness of God, and it's through faith. It's through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. Now, that word all here in context is really meant to emphasize and communicate that this is not just the case for the Jews. It is also the case for the Gentiles. As Paul says next, for there is no distinction, that is, between Jews and Gentiles for all There it is again, have fallen short of the glory of God. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and presumably all of them, again, both Jews and Gentiles, are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. That was the last sermon, right? Propitiation. Here is our emphasis today. God put this man forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received. By faith. The way we benefit from Christ's work on the cross, the way we receive justification is by placing our faith in this crucified Messiah who is the very righteousness of God made manifest. And it is not as though this faith is just one of a few important factors that makes us righteous. It is the Factor, As Paul says in verse 28, for we hold that one is justified, made righteous by faith apart from the works of the law. Now, we have to remember this whole letter is written against the backdrop of some really serious cultural ethnic tensions between the Jewish and the Gentile members of these churches. The Jews were ashamed because they had always been God's covenant people that these Gentiles were now part of the covenant family with them. The Gentiles were ashamed because they had always been the covenant outsiders and were made regularly to feel they were less than. And so Paul has spent these last three chapters helping both of these groups to see that they are both on the same spiritual footing. None of them is righteous in and of themselves. And his point here is that circumcising these Gentiles and and forcing them to live under the Old Testament law is not the solution. That's not the way forward. He's saying, listen, now you don't have to be an ethnic Jew or live under the law to be made righteous because as he says, the God of Israel is also the God of these Gentiles and he intends to make both of them righteous in the same way. As he says here in verse 30, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith, that is the Jews, and the uncircumcised through faith. That is the Gentiles. So listen, here's Romans 1 to 3 in just a few brief statements. First, the entire Gentile world is unrighteous and deserving of God's wrath. 
but also the Jews are unrighteous and deserving of God's wrath, even though they're born under the law. And yet Christ, who is the righteousness of God revealed, he has endured the Father's wrath for both of them. He is the propitiation for all, even though he himself is righteous, all so that now every sinner on earth, regardless of their ethnicity, can be set free from sin, can be united as this new covenant family, and can be made righteous all by faith in Jesus. This is what Paul meant in his introduction when he told us he was after the obedience of faith among all nations. This is the only way that sinful people can be made righteous. It is by faith in the crucified Christ. Now, in light of all this, there are a few questions I think are incredibly important for us to consider this morning. And so we're going to try and do that. And I'm just going to give them up to you right away up front. Uh, First, we're going to ask, what is faith? Or more specifically, what does it mean to have faith in Jesus? Also, how does our faith in Christ make us righteous? Why does it actually work that way? And, And also, is faith in Christ really enough to make us righteous? Or is that just sort of a starting point, one piece of a, of a bigger equation? Now, now, before we get started, I just want to say we are venturing into some deep theological waters here. Uh, these are some of the most explosive questions that led Martin Luther, actually 500 and a couple years ago, this is the anniversary of the Protestant Reformation beginning Uh, when he and other reformers broke ties with the Catholic Church back in the 1500s. As he and these other reformers famously said, this doctrine here of justification by faith alone, this doctrine is the one on which the whole church stands and falls. Everything is at stake in this doctrine. And and listen, I just want to suggest that that is not an, an overstatement or exaggeration. Uh, um, We are ultimately, after all, talking about what it means to be a Christian and how people can actually become one. Not to mention, I want to just say, even beyond these 16th century debates, there are just many layers to all these truths, many. Uh, Countless connections between all kinds of doctrines that intersect and overlap. And so we do have to pace ourselves a little bit. I, I, I cannot say everything that could be said on this topic today. And even then, it might be a little longer than usual. But but, but let's not let the enormity of this doctrine keep us from taking this all very seriously. With that in mind, I want to ask our first question. What is faith? What is it? I mentioned in my introduction, there was one verse in particular my camp counselor brought me to in which God used to really unlock the mystery of faith to me. And and that verse is Hebrews chapter 11, verse one. I memorized it back then in the NIV, so I'm gonna share it in that version. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance, or some translations say certainty about what we do not see. Now, as I first read that, I remember it was like a light bulb just sort of clicked on for me in my life. It really was. Because in one sense, I had always hoped that Jesus dying on the cross was good news in some way, ever since I'd heard that he did. 
Uh, but in my mind, I couldn't be certain that it was, right? I, I, I wasn't there. I didn't see it. And it just seems like there's, there's a lot of mysterious spiritual stuff going on with stuff like this. So who knows, right? But as I read these words for the very first time, I began to see that is the whole point of faith. This is how faith works. Simply liking Jesus or, or even hoping that he's done enough to save us from our sins is not the same as having faith in Jesus. Because faith goes one step further than hope. Uh, faith does not just say, well, I hope he paid the penalty for my sins. I mean, that'd be great. No, even though we cannot see these things, even though we cannot know them by sight for certain, faith says, I am going to live as though I am certain. Faith says, I'm going to be confident in this thing I'm hoping for. I'm going to be certain or that is assured of the thing I cannot see. And in that moment, I, I realized what it meant to have faith in Jesus. It means to live as if we are certain his death on the cross has made us righteous. This might be the most pressing question we need to consider this morning. Is that true of us? What are you relying on to be made right with God? Is it this crucified Christ? Or is it something else? Is it some mixture? Is it nothing at all? Next, another helpful question. How does faith in Christ make us righteous? Why is it that this actually works in that way? And now here, just have to be honest, we're, we're kind of at the intersection of many different glorious doctrines. Uh, many. Uh, for instance, we could talk about how this kind of faith unites us with the life of Christ, almost as if uh, we have been crucified with him, and it is no longer us who live, but he who lives in us, and the life we now live in the flesh, we live how? By faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. That's Galatians 2.20. Or as if we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. That's Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. Or as if those who are baptized as a profession of their faith are truly baptized into his death so that someday they can also be raised to newness of life with him. That's Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Or as if Christ is, of course, one with his father, and by faith, we are made one with Christ and thereby united also with his, his father. That's John chapter 17. You see, our faith in Christ makes us righteous because it unites us with Christ, who is the righteous one. And so we could talk about faith and the doctrine of union with Christ. Or uh, we could talk about his righteousness being credited or imputed to us. Just as it was for Abraham when he believed in God's promise and it was counted to him as righteousness, which is what it says in Genesis 15. And it's also where Paul's headed next. He's going to appeal to that next in chapter 4 to make his point about this. Or as if Christ himself is our righteousness, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. So faith in Christ makes us righteous because by it, his righteousness is counted to us as if it's ours. So we could talk about faith and the doctrine of the imputed righteousness. Or 
We could talk about how God's righteous Holy Spirit dwells in those who have faith in Jesus. As if when we hear this word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and believe it by faith, we are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, well, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in us. That's where Paul will head later in this letter in chapter 8. See, so our faith in Christ makes us righteous because by it, God's righteous spirit comes to truly dwell within us. So we can talk about faith and the doctrine of regeneration or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Or we could talk about our adoption into God's family by faith in Christ, as if we were all separated from Christ, alienated from this covenant family, strangers to his promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But then in Christ Jesus, we who once were far off were brought near by his blood so that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and made members of this household of God. We're in the family. That's Ephesians 2. Or as if in Christ Jesus, we are all sons of God through faith. It's Galatians 3.26. You see, so faith in Christ makes us righteous because by it we are adopted into his righteous family. So we could talk about faith and, and the doctrine of adoption. The truth is there are many explanations as to why faith in Christ makes us righteous, but the unifying concept that binds all of these glorious truths together is faith. Faith unites us with the life of Jesus and his with ours. Through faith, his righteousness is credited to us. We hear the gospel and believe it by faith, and we're, healed, we're sealed with the Spirit. It is by faith that we're adopted into his family. The list could go on. And this really is Paul's point in the whole entirety of the book of Romans. In this gospel, the righteousness of God has been revealed from faith, for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So we just have to acknowledge the logic of this entire passage and really the entire book of Romans is pointing us to the justifying power of faith in Jesus. And here's the key, over and against any other power, over and against the power of the law, over and against the power of our ethnic identity, over and against mere religious affiliation. These are not the things that justify us Faith is. Now, a couple qualifications here. First, uh, this does not mean that even by faith in Christ, we can live a perfect or purely righteous life. At least not until we're resurrected from the dead to eternal life. Uh, because while this new spiritual life that we have within us, the life of Christ, it is real. It's very real and it's truly righteous it is also still contained within our sinful flesh. That is our bodily lives, which are still corrupted and distorted by sin. It's as if our souls have been born again, righteous, but our bodies must die and be raised for us to be fully rescued from the curse of sin and made completely righteous once and for all. Paul will address this, by the way, in chapter seven when he speaks to this struggle within us between the spirit and our flesh. Uh, he also addresses the need for resurrection and death and resurrection to complete 
our salvation. He does that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's an incredible, beautiful text. Can your dad leave a mug right there? Can you give that to me? Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I, I did not mean to do that to you. I was supposed to bring it up myself. Um, I have this mug here, and uh, it's my go-to church mug. Um, you might have seen me using it at a meeting or two. Uh, and on this mug is a Latin phrase, which we believe is likely uh, penned by Martin Luther. And this Latin phrase is simul justus et peccator. And I know you know what that means. Um, <laughs> but just, just in case you've forgotten, I'll let you know that it means simultaneously righteous, that is by faith in Christ, yet also sinful because of our flesh. This is incredibly helpful. And it's incredibly clarifying because it keeps us from this error of having to decide which one it must really be. For us as spirit-filled Christians, it is not just one and the other. It is truly and it is sincerely both. We have been made righteous by faith in Christ's bodily life and we are also still sinful because of our fallen bodily lives. We are simul justus et peccator. Another qualification, uh, faith does not justify us because of the power of faith. Uh, faith in Christ justifies us because of the power of Christ. Do you see the difference? Uh, a Dutch theologian uh, named Herman Bavink says it this way. He says, the righteousness which justifies us is not to be separated from the person of Christ. It does not consist of a, a material or spiritual gift which God can grant us apart from himself or which we can accept or receive apart from the person of Christ. It, it faith, justifies not by its own intrinsic moral worth, but by its contents, which just means whatever it is we have faith in, namely, in this case, the righteousness of Christ. It's, it's incredibly well said. And, and it's very relevant, actually, too, because it's tempting to rely on a faith experience, for instance, rather than to truly rely on a crucified and resurrected man. Uh, you know, that one time we raised our hand at that one Christian event, or, or the time we walked down the aisle, or the time we prayed that prayer, or the time we threw the stick in the fire at, at Bible camp. Right? We, we can think, well, of course I'm justified. Look, I, I did that thing, right, to express my faith. And so it must be real, otherwise, why would I have done the thing, Right? And the truth is, though, we are not justified by throwing sticks in fires or, or even by praying prayers. If the kid at camp who sat silently truly relies on Christ for forgiveness and the kid who shot up and threw the stick in the fire in order to make a show, what, what, what that means and how that will translate is that the silent kid will be made righteous and the stick-throwing kid is just as condemned as he was the day before. It's also tempting to rely on the strength of our faith. As in, ooh, I, I really believe that Jesus died for my sins. So I must be more righteous than that Christian friend with all those complicated questions, right? Nope, no. 
again, we are not saved. We're not, we're not, sorry, I should say, our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in Christ, who is our propitiation. Even mustard seed-sized faith in this righteous, resurrected Christ will make us righteous. And so here's what this means. Don't wait until you have the right experience of faith to begin the Christian life. In that case, you may never begin. Don't wait until you're really confident. You can do this whole Christian life thing really well before you commit to actually doing it and following Jesus. Friend, you'll never commit. Instead, commit to following Jesus. Commit to beginning this new spiritual life because of your confidence in Christ. Because you won't ever find the right religious experience. And because you cannot do this well apart from him. Place your faith in this resurrected man, not in your ability to believe in him. And finally, with all this in mind, friends, is faith in Christ really enough to make us righteous? By now, my goodness, I hope you have your answer. Uh, But we do have to address this directly because of how relevant the question is based on the teaching of other traditions. And especially for those of us who have some history with the Catholic Church. Uh, And so with, with this in mind, I wanna be very clear, faith does not justify us progressively over the course of our life, along with a few other important factors. Uh, Again, when the disposition of our soul changes and, and we miraculously begin to trust in this Jesus, to rely on his righteousness, we are given access to all of it right then at the moment of our conversion. And this is why later in Romans chapter five, Paul can refer to our justification in the past tense as though it's something that already happened. In other words, it's not just that some lifelong process of justification has begun. It's that therefore, he says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Like now we have it. It's ours. Well, how? You're still still sinful. Through our Lord, Jesus Christ. This is how we have it. Again, Bavink says it this way. He says, our comfort in this matter of justification is that the whole righteousness which we require comes from outside ourselves in Christ Jesus. We are not the ones who must bring it into being. This righteousness has not been put together from pieces or fragments. You either have all of it or none of it. We cannot get a part of it and fill in the rest ourselves. And and anyhow, what have we to give? that would serve to fill out such righteousness. If you remember, right, that that was the point of Romans 1 to 2. That was a crucial aspect of the very first sermon in the series. Righteousness will never come from within us. So justification does not happen over the course of our lives. Sanctification does. We absolutely become more like Jesus as we continue to live by faith in him, But our being made righteous is not in any way contingent on how that process of sanctification will go. In fact, it's actually the other way around. It's actually the other way around. The lifelong process of sanctification 
is the result of this newfound righteousness we have access to being sort of worked out and moved deeper and deeper into our lives. And this is really James's point, by the way, uh, in the one text that may seem to say that we are not justified by faith alone. That's James chapter two. The point there is that the, the kind of faith that we just sort of talk about that, that doesn't really change us or lead to a life marked by good works, that kind of faith can't make us righteous. Here's the key, like real faith does. <laughs> so if that is what we mean by faith alone, that all we have to do is just say the right stuff about Christ and salvation, well, then no, <laughs> absolutely not. We are not justified by faith alone in that sense. You see, James is assuming that it is faith which justifies, and then he is helping us to discern if our faith is real, if it's alive. And the reason he cares so much if our faith is real and alive is because he knows it makes us righteous. Church, this is where the rubber really meets the road. It really is. We're not just in the weeds here. Because if it is not faith alone that makes us righteous, if trusting in Jesus is just a starting point to our justification, and then we are now responsible to continue that lifelong process of being made righteous by doing good, for instance, then you can have genuine faith in the Lord Jesus. I want you to listen to me. You can have genuine faith in Jesus even till your dying day and still never enter his kingdom. Within that system, there is no such thing as assurance. We'll just have to wait and see how the matter of our righteousness shakes out in the wash when all is said and done and everything is added up. Listen, if Christ is not the sole source of our righteousness, we can never be sure that we have it. In fact, if anything, I would argue we can be certain we don't. This is the issue at the very center of the Protestant Reformation, it is why we are a Protestant church without apology. We exist in protest of this doctrine. But most importantly, it's because, praise God, this is just not how the New Testament talks about what it means to be a Christian and how to become one. Instead, it consistently speaks of these things in this way from Titus chapter three. Because we ourselves were once fools disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, listen, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And praise God, your being made righteous does not depend on you even a little bit. It depends on his perfect righteousness revealed once and for all through his death on the cross. Now, this does not mean that good works are unimportant, and we also need to hear this, or even optional, by the way. It simply means those good works are a sign that we have been truly justified by faith alone. Meanwhile... Here is the official teaching of the Catholic Church. This is taken directly from their catechism, originally penned in the Council of Trent in the 1500s, still on the books 
as a fifth official Catholic doctrine. It says, if anyone saith that the justice received is not preserved and also increased before God through good works, but that the said works are merely the fruits and signs of justification obtained, but not a cause of the increase thereof, let him be anathema. That word anathema means cursed or damned to hell. In other words, if you say that your good works do not further justify you, if you say your good works do not make you more righteous before God, you should be damned to hell. That is the official teaching of the Catholic Church. Listen, there are many complicated issues surrounding Catholicism. Uh, this is certainly one of them. This is very complicated. I, I am very sensitive as well to overcorrecting the Catholic Church in, frankly, unfair and even uninformed ways. Uh, but we have to talk about this. Uh, because as uncomfortable as it may be, listen, this is a fundamental disagreement about what it means to be a Christian and how sinful people can become one. And I do also want to just point this out. But we are not the ones damning people to hell for teaching this glorious doctrine. Uh, we are not the ones heaping heavenly responsibilities upon people's shoulders, which Christ has already come in the flesh to bear in full on their behalf. I was born and raised in an Italian Roman Catholic family. I went to Catholic schools from kindergarten through high school. Uh, as far as I know, I was the first person in a long line of long family line not to be confirmed in the Catholic Church. And, and I have to say this too. I have many fond memories of my experience growing up Catholic. Uh, I was well-loved. And in many ways, other than this one, well-taught. And I am incredibly grateful for much of it. But this is where we just have to separate things like our family heritage, our ethnic background, and even our religious nostalgia from doctrine, from the truths that we believe about the things of God. This, this is not about disrespecting anyone, even. It's not about disrespecting anyone's childhood or, or family. This is about righteousness. It's about what really happened on that cross and how we can really benefit from it. People will often ask, so are you saying you can't be Catholic and truly be a Christian? Well, no, I wouldn't say it that way. But I am saying that to be a Christian means to be made righteous by faith alone in Christ alone. And that is the exact opposite of the official teaching of the Catholic Church. And so, praise God, they're wrong. Praise God, the scriptures present us with far better news. Praise God, even sinful people born and raised Catholic like me can be justified by faith alone in Christ. Praise God. But if we are going to be, then we will have to break with the Catholic Church's official doctrine by relying on Christ alone to make us righteous and not anything else. Every one of our members must affirm this uh, in order to be and then stay a member. This is our statement of faith. From our statement of faith, justification, it says, 
is granted without consideration of any good works, but by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And through justification, Christ's perfect righteousness is freely imputed to us by God. That's how seriously we take this, and this is why. It's because this is how we are made righteous. Friends, this is the entire point here in Romans. It's the entire point of the cross. It's the culmination of the entirety of Scripture. Sinners are made righteous by faith in Jesus. And there's just one appropriate response to all of this, church. It's to rely on Christ alone to make you righteous. I'm going to close with just three quick encouragements to help sort of guide us as we respond to this. The first one is this. Let go of all self-reliance. Let go of it. We will never rely on Christ in this saving way until we stop relying on ourselves. Uh, until we own our sin, repent of it, and, and truly turn from our unrighteous ways. And so in what ways are you tempted to look to your own life, or to your own record, in order to make this case before God and others? Well, look, I'm at least this good, oh, right? Or, or I'm at least good in these ways. And, and how would your life look different if instead you lived every day in the light of this cross? Fully acknowledging, no, I am not righteous. And if I relied on myself, I, I would get that. I, I would get judgment and death. Praise God for Christ. I, imagine the freedom that would come from not having to put up this, this show anymore to, to try and justify ourselves and to, to prove to the world that we are something we're not, truly, in a spiritual sense. Imagine the burden that would be lifted from your shoulders if you stopped putting this pressure on yourself to be better, to do more, to measure up, and simply acknowledge, I can't, I won't, I don't, but, but Christ can. And he has for me, which is our next step. Number two, rely on the finished work of Jesus. Don't just settle for liking him or identifying as a Christian, whatever that may mean, or even for hoping that he's done enough to set you free from sin. No, live as if he has. Rely on him. Live as if you're certain he's made you righteous by the perfect righteous sacrifice of himself. Ultimately, this is about the inner disposition of your soul before God. Uh, it's, it's tempting to think, okay, but what can I do, right, to sort of make this happen? Come on. I really can't instruct you in that. Uh, because this is an invisible spiritual work that ultimately depends on invisible and spiritual factors. I can preach the good news, I, I can call you to repent and believe. I can try my best to explain what these things mean. But ultimately, it's a matter of your heart between you and your God. None of us can do this for you. But that does not mean it's an altogether private matter. Because next, we must also live all of life by this faith. All of it. We have to actually change and even reorder and arrange our lives so that this new righteous life we have in Christ is both evident to the world and also shared with one another in the body of Christ. So here is a specific next step you can take, if you haven't already, to start living this justified life by faith. Be baptized. Be baptized. Stand up in front of this church and the watching world 
and say loud and clear, I, I am not righteous, but I am with this righteous substitute and his people. And, and because of his sacrificial death in my place, praise God, by simply clinging to him in my faith, I have been made righteous. This is what we say when we are baptized by faith. Now, that may seem intimidating or scary. I get it. But I think that's just because it takes faith to make a statement like that. So take the righteous crimson red blood of this Jesus and douse it over every corner of your life with us. As if you are certain God had used it to make you truly righteous, like he is righteous. But what about my past? Friend, plunge it all beneath the flood of his mercy. What about my insecurities? Let him take those and nail them to his cross as well. Friend, give yourself Give yourself fully, sin and all, to this righteous, resurrected substitute. Rely on him. This is what it means to have faith in Jesus. And that is how sinners are made righteous.